A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. Chapter 5. Diagon Alley. Harry woke early the next morning. Although he could tell it was daylight, he kept his eyes shut tight. It was a dream, he told himself firmly. I dreamed a giant called Hagrid came to tell me I was going to a school for wizards. When I open my eyes, I'll be at home in my cupboard. I'm Matt Potts. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So Matt, I was in Ireland with my friend Julia, and we decided to walk the Wicklow Way, which is a walk across Ireland. We actually only did half of it. We walked from Dublin to Glendalough. And this was a three or four day walk. And we started our walk on the first day and it was very pretty, but you're like half in Dublin the first day. And so as pretty as it is, like you still have like views of the city. You're not like in nature. And it was only at the end of the first day that we were deep in nature, but it was dark out by the time we got to the hostel that we were sleeping in. So we woke up the following morning pretty early to get a good start on the day. And we got back up the hill and It was like a magical world had emerged overnight. It was the same Heather that we had been walking in the day before, but 
what felt like thousands and thousands of spiders had spun webs over the heather overnight. And there was dew on the spider webs. And then it was somehow sunny this morning in Ireland. And so there were just thousands and thousands of tiny rainbows as far as the eye could see over this field of heather. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And it was so joyful to be there with a friend. We were literally laughing at how pretty it was. It was like ridiculous amounts of beautiful. And the joy of being there with a friend as we saw this beautiful thing. I think we would vacillate between like silence and elation and just giggling and bubbling over. And that is how I imagine Harry in the magical world, he can't stop asking Hagrid questions. He just like can't stop. He's just like bubbling over with questions and happiness. And I feel like that is one of the expressions of awe. It feels like it is pouring out of you. One of the things I really like about that story is that the event you describe is probably not super rare. Those spiders are always there. There's dew most mornings. The sun does occasionally shine in Ireland. (laughs) This kind of multitude of rainbows is almost always there. So the odd doesn't relate to like the rarity of the event. It has to do with being in the right place at the right time and paying attention to the world as it already is. And it makes me think of there's this entrance to the leaky cauldron that no one's paying attention to. None of the muggles walking down the street see it there. But actually right next to them is this entrance into this whole other world, which is always there, which is always operating, which is every day, which is ordinary, but which if they just had the eyes to see would strike them with awe. I completely agree. I'm very confused as to whether muggles are like capable of seeing it. Like I have a question about the magic of that, but obviously some muggles can because the Grangers get in at some point. So, okay, Matt, you start in the 30 second recap. I feel like you've really gotten chill about this. I'm not feeling chill. I'm not feeling chill. Uh, I'm feeling more chill than I did on episode one. I didn't wake up thinking about it like I did the last two times. Hey, progress. Okay. On your mark. Get set. Go. So Harry wakes up and he thinks it's a dream, but it's not a dream. And they get in a boat and Haggard uses some illegal magic to get them across the boat. And they go to London. And when they go to London, they they find uh, this pub and they everyone's marveling at, at Hagrid and then they go into the pub and everyone's marveling at, at Harry and then they go to Gringotts and there's a pile of money and then then they go to uh, a place to get robes and Malfoy is not a nice person and then they they reunite with Hagrid and then before I this ends I have to talk about how Harry's nervous about being a wizard yeah I miss some things but I, I really wanted to get the thing about Harry being nervous about being a wizard it really I found it like strangely moving uh, when I read it this time so yeah okay I'll do what I can to fill in some details. Three, two, one, go. So everybody is like, oh my God, Harry famous. And Harry's like, I'm famous. That's weird. And he shops and he gets Hedwig, which is really exciting. And he goes down into the deep vault and he seems very curious about Gringotts, which is exciting. The thing that I want to spend a minute on is that Hagrid takes the boat away from the island and leaves the Dursleys on that island with no boat to get off. Okay, the other thing is that Ollivander is like, oh my God, Harry, you have your mother's eyes, but you look like your father. And oh, they have the twin cores with Voldemort. That was teamwork. Yeah. I will say that, again, I think you were masterful because you did a three-second recap and a theme conversation (laughs) in 30 seconds. This is an experienced podcaster. This is a person that's been doing this. (laughs) 
I did a theme conversation about something that didn't fit into the awe theme. So I was like, we need to talk about this, but I can't squeeze it into awe. Exactly. That's what you did. You're like, you chose a second theme for this week (laughs) and then put it in the middle, in the middle, like seven seconds of your 30 second recap. That's just. Yeah. Matt, where should we start with awe? Where is somewhere that you want to start with? You know, Vanessa, when I started reading, I thought Harry's discovering Diagon Alley. Awe is going to be easy for this chapter. But I actually struggled seeing awe in the chapter. I'm interested to know where you saw awe and how this chapter helped illuminate what that concept or what that word might mean for us. I had a similar experience, but I have a theory as to why there isn't the obvious form of awe in this chapter. And I think that Harry might be too overwhelmed to know that he's feeling awe. I wonder if that is part of awe is that it has to be a little bit slow. There has to be the ability to see how amazing what's going on is, right? To your point about my story, like spiders are an everyday thing. And I probably walk by a million spiders on my daily hike doing awesome stuff, but I'm just like hiking the dog and listening to my Harry Potter chapter and, you know, thinking a million other things. Whereas this was, I'd set aside a time to really see it. And I think it's possible that Harry is just overloaded with the fact that it's his birthday and somebody wants to buy him a present. It's too many emotions at once. I still think there are moments of awe that I want us to talk about, but I think that that might be one of the reasons it wasn't as abundant as we thought it might be. Like it's failing to register because there's so much stuff you can't actually process it into an emotion or an affective reaction like awe. In my own sense of what awe is, there's just a touch of like fear. I think even like your spider story, something about that experience, it situated you within a natural world, which is just so huge and diverse and full of so many things. And you are just one small part of it. Like something about standing there and like recognizing, oh my gosh, the world is more complicated and rich and wonderful than even my brain could could imagine. I got a glimmer of it today. There is something about like placing you within like a system of things or within a system of meaning where you start to feel small. But I think you're right. There are moments, right? So like, tell me about which moments you want to think about. Well, I think that all of the people in the Leaky Cauldron are awestruck by Harry. And I think fame is one of the like more profane forms of awe in this world. To see someone who you don't quite think is human, they've somehow been reduced to their art form or their handsomeness or their heroism. And to see them and to see that they like have eyebrows, they become small in the face of their own greatness. And I think that that is awe-inspiring. There's that person who just like keeps wanting to touch Harry and just keeps wanting to shake his hand. And I think that that relationship is about awe, don't you think? I think that's right. I think it's their awe over Harry is this awe over the fact that he somehow defeated Voldemort, which is this source of incredible, you know, fear for the wizarding community, right? And so he must have some power that we don't have. He must have some capacity or ability or magic that we don't have. And that that's awe-inspiring, right? They're awestruck by it. One thing I was thinking about along these same lines is comparing Hagrid's reaction to the Muggles and the Muggles' reaction to Hagrid. Mm-hmm. Right when the Muggles see Hagrid walking down the road, I feel like they are in awe. There is this human-like person who does not resemble any other human they've ever seen because of his great size. And Harry remarks about like the way they look at him and the way that they are seem awestruck by Hagrid. And Hagrid also has this sense of like kind of wonder at the Muggles, but it's more like bemusement, right? It's, oh, look at the parking meters. He's not a little bit scared of the parking meters. But the muggles are a little bit scared of Haggard. 
And that also made me think about how, especially, and I think this relates to your comments about celebrity and even the patrons of the Leaky Cauldron's reaction to Harry, how awe towards a person rather than towards a field full of spiders is dehumanizing. Totally. It objectifies the person into something other than just a normal person. Absolutely. You actually just said something that clarified a huge part of my whole childhood for me. People were always in awe of my grandparents for surviving. And I always found it so annoying as a kid. I remember in particular being at one of my younger brother's Little League games and this woman coming up to my grandpa and seeing his Auschwitz tattoo and bursting into tears and being like, you were a hero. And I was like, ugh, like he got put in a bad situation. That does not make someone a hero. She was definitely awestruck. And she definitely was dehumanizing him, right? Like she had no interest in him as a person. She just had interest in him as a survivor. But I I love what you said about being awestruck by someone who has more power than you or a power that you don't have. People are awestruck by Hagrid because he's just so big. He can do all these things that we can't do. And the patrons of the Leaky Cauldron are awestruck by Harry because he must have this magic that we don't have because he survived Voldemort. And I wonder if that's what that woman, Rebecca, was like, I wouldn't have survived. You must have some deep strength and power that I don't have. Maybe this is the idea lurking behind everything that you and I have both been saying, which is power. Awe has to do with power. It has to do with placing yourself in a relationship to power where you are realizing that you do not have power. And that is why Draco has no awe. He absolutely thinks he has power over the wizarding world. He is going to bring a broom to Hogwarts, even though it's not allowed, right? Like he literally thinks he has power that he is not imbued with. But something I just noticed for the first time is that Draco does not pick his own wand. He has so little awe and such contempt for this world that he's getting his robes fitted and he sends his mother to pick his wand. And Ollivander constantly talks about how the wand picks the wizard. And so I'm like, oh, his lack of awe for this world literally makes him a less powerful wizard. Yeah, which is symptomatic of people who follow Voldemort, where they are so confident in their own power, or Voldemort so confident in his own power that he doesn't recognize how much more powerful and complicated the rest of the world could be, like house elves or a bunch of children. This conversation is also maybe enlightening me as to why I found those final moments with Harry like more moving than I expected to, just because everyone thinks he is this incredibly powerful wizard, but he sees himself in relationship to a whole world where he doesn't feel like he has any agency yet. He doesn't know what he's doing, doesn't know how to use what he has. Yeah, Harry's definitely scared of this world. He doesn't understand it. And it makes him really uncomfortable that he doesn't know what Quidditch is and that he doesn't know what houses are. And he's getting mixed information from Malfoy that Hufflepuff is the worst and from Hagrid that Slytherin is the worst. And like none of it can possibly make sense. I feel like that's another moment of awe that is a sadder experience of awe is especially for me when I travel you learn about all the things that you didn't know you didn't know and it can be so overwhelming it can be like I had this experience in a grocery store in France with cheese I was like I don't even know what cheese I like here (laughs) I thought I really knew myself in cheese where's the Cabot extra sharp (laughs) yes right (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm so excited to eat French cheese and I don't know. (laughs) It can make you feel 
so small to realize how little you know about something. And I feel like this is Harry's traveling experience. And it's like, I don't even know about houses. Like there's a whole world that you realize that you don't fit in and you're trying to operate in it, which is absolutely right. What's going on with Hagrid and also just like what was going on with you and the spiders. This is there's a whole universe of beauty and life and death in that field of Heather. Right. You just got like a glimpse of that morning, which is why like it was so awe-inspiring for you. You know, I've just been appointed to this new position, which is, I guess, sort of prestigious. And like, to me, it just feels like a new job that I'm kind of worried about starting. Like everybody started worries about starting a new job. And I think maybe that's why Harry's experience like stuck with me or like hit me in a way because it wasn't about Harry. It was about me. I'm so selfish. (laughs) Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. The other thing I just want to talk about is, you know, when you talk about going to France, I studied abroad in London when I was an undergrad, and I'd, I'd never been to a major European city before when I landed at Heathrow and taking the train in from Heathrow into London, I just remember that was all. 
coming into London and seeing that place, seeing that city that meant so much to me already because it had been in so many books I'd read that I already had so many ideas about but had no understanding of. Coming into that city, seeing that place. And then I feel like every day for the five months I was there, I would walk out into that city and just feel a sense of awe at that city, right? And so like part of this chapter, which I really loved just also was their arrival in London. For Harry, there's an extra element that he also goes to the secret part of London, which is also the, the center of the wizarding world or a center in the wizarding world. But just the descriptions of London evoked for me these other memories of of all for me, which is just about like being in a city, being in a place full of energy and life. Yeah. And then Harry has that right when he walks into Gringotts. And to me, that that's about awe of wealth, which is a funny thing to be in awe of, because I think of wealth as profane, but he is, he's in awe of the fact that this place is so gilded and beautiful and that there is just like miles of gold beneath them. The fact of money seems to be something that can create awe in us. Yeah. Do you think that that is awe or once it's like money, is it something else? Like I remember once pulling up at a house, I was traveling with friends to stay with their friends. And we pulled up at this beautiful house on the Cape. And I was like, whoa, this house is so pretty. And then it turned out that that was the guest house and that there was like a bigger main house. And then I was alone in the guest house for a minute. So obviously I was like opening drawers and seeing what everything was. And there was a full knife set in its wrapping still, like that had never been opened. And I Googled it and it was a thousand dollars of knives in a drawer that had never been opened in a guest house. And I was in awe of that. At least your definition. I was a little bit scared and my mouth was agape. I was like, where am I? I guess it doesn't feel like awe to me. That doesn't feel like awe to me. It can feel like awe to you, right? But I think... No, I'm curious if it is. And maybe this is a bad definition, but I'm right. This chapter's helped me kind of excavate what is at stake for me in the definition. I think for me, I want to be in awe or I recognize awe towards things that I think are good, right? That are the way they ought to be. Like when you look at the spiders, you feel small in relation to the natural world. That field is as it ought to be, right? And therefore, what's kind of frightening about it is, oh, my smallness is actually the way things ought to be, which, you know, for a selfish person like myself is a frightening thought when you want to think that you're that that you're important, right? But like looking at the steak knives in the drawer, I feel like you're like, oh, I am small compared to the vast amounts of wealth that exist in this world, but that ain't right. It's not how it ought to be. So it's not goodness, which is inspiring a little bit of fear in me. It's something that's not so good, right? But I, I don't know if that is. I don't know if that actually can fund my definition. I think that I think there may be something to this example. And I just, I wonder if there are some other places in this chapter that you can point to, which would help me sort out my confusion over this question. I mean, I think Ollivander's wand shop, where Harry suddenly realizes wands existed in the world. And now it's like this twin feather core. It's this tool that he's going to walk around for the rest of his life that's an extension of him. And it turns out that he has this other connection to Voldemort. But it is also just the commerce of it. The fact that Ollivander's store has been around since before Christ and that There's a tape measure that measures on his own the width of Harry's nostrils. It's just this incredulity at a world that you didn't know existed. 
there's something about, so fear is not the right word, maybe. It's something about, there is actually people who devote whole lives, generations, to a single act, to a single craft. There's something in that about recognizing how big and vast, not just the world, but the lives of spiders or the skill of human hands and minds coming into relationship with that and recognizing like how small a piece your experience of being a human is. And you're right, this that's happening over and over again in this chapter with Harry as he walks first to London, then to Gringotts, then to every other place in, in Diagon Alley. So Matt, I have another like moment of lack of awe <laughs> that I found confusing. So Harry has been taught the name Voldemort by Hagrid and Hagrid whispered it to him once. And other than that, he's been like, we don't say that. We say he who must not be named or other ways of hinting around it. And yet Harry, when talking to Hagrid in this chapter, just starts saying Voldemort again. Given that he's been taught awe for this name, this like fear and power dynamic and like confusion about it, why is he already like walking around swinging around the name Voldemort? Is it because he's like, this guy tried to kill me and I didn't die, so I have a right to it? I think that he already intuits that the Wizarding World's choice not to say Voldemort's name out loud in an indirect way gives respect to Voldemort. Mm -hmm. There's something deferential about their failure to say his name. And I think that Harry doesn't have any patience with that because the guy killed his parents. Yep. Deference is just another word in the universe of awe. It is a relationship to power. It's a, and it's, it's him refusing to offer that to Voldemort, even though everyone else is justifiably scared of Voldemort. And he, there's like a explicit moment of that with Ollivander, right? Where Ollivander is like, mm. I regret that I sold that wand, but it did great things. Horrible, yeah. but great things. And Ollivander yeah. seems to be in awe of the greatness and power of what that wand and Voldemort did. And Harry's like, never mind, I don't like Ollivander, <laughs> right? Like he's just immediately like, I reject that awe. Whereas I think what Ollivander is doing is a completely reasonable way to analyze the situation. I think that Harry's psychological response to that is a beautiful psychological response of like, nope, I'm going to spend all my time humanizing this man and making him small in my mind. I'm not giving awe there. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So, Matt, it is our last Lectio Divina for a little while. What sentence should we do Lectio with? Vanessa, here is the randomly selected sentence that I've chosen. Outside the apothecaries, Hagrid checked Harry's list again. Hmm. So step one of Lectio Divina is what is literally happening in the sentence. Outside the apothecary, Hagrid checked Harry's list again. So what's going on in the chapter is Harry has just left Madame Malkin's. He's just had this encounter with Draco realize Draco is not a nice person, and also, I think, realize a little bit of his loyalty to Hagrid. And he walks out of Madame Malkin's and reconvenes with Hagrid, who had been off to the Leaky Cauldron to recover from his Gringotts roller coaster ride, and they're making their plan for the other items they need to pick up. Hagrid also has two ice cream cones for him and Harry. That's right. And so they're standing outside of the apothecary, and Hagrid is, like, taking on this, like, parent role of like making sure that Harry has everything on his list. And it's so sweet because what he says next is like, we have your wand left on your list. And also I have to buy you a birthday present, which is not on the list. 
Okay, so step two of Lectio Divina is what other stories does this remind us of? Outside the apothecary, Haggard checked Harry's list again. So what occurred to me is one of the only places where I feel like I know of an apothecary, which is in Romeo and Juliet. They get the fake poison from the apothecary, the poison that makes it seem as though you're dead when you're not. And that doesn't go great. Does not go great. Uh, What this made me think of is I watched the 1982 movie Annie with my kids this weekend and uh annie is in a similar position when she arrives at, at mr warbuck's house at daddy warbuck's house it's this whole other world she's never realized was even possible there's what is effectively magic to her daddy warbuck's has a helicopter helicopters were not invented at the time this movie takes place like he literally is almost like a magic person and there's a figure the the woman who actually gets annie out of miss hannigan's home for orphan children Miss Farrell, who is this kind of parental figure towards Annie when she first arrives at the place and helps her become acclimated to her new life in the Warbucks mansion. So that's the thing that it kind of evokes evokes for me. I love that. It's like a the Virgil character. Yeah, that's right. But also something really parental about it. Yeah. Virgil is not parental. So what does it remind you of in your own life? Outside the apothecary, Hagrid checked his list again. I mean, right now it has to do for me with with our moving. We're moving in the next couple of months. That kind of transformative, oh, there's a whole new world coming, feels true to what Harry's going through in this chapter. But also, like, there are just some details. There's, like, detail work that needs to get done, and there are lists that are made and have to be kept track of. And even the fundamental personal work of, like, embracing a new life comes with just discrete tasks that have to be accomplished to make that happen. I love a list. I love a list. And I am leaving to California today. I am officially fully vaxxed and I'm going to go see my family and hug my niece and nephew unmasked. And you should see the list I made. I'm not used to packing anymore. And so I made a list of everything I need to pack, like underwear, six pair. I feel like it used to be something I was so good at and I've like lost this muscle. The lists keep our lives. I mean, our world operates because Colette has her list, basically. That's yeah. Yeah. You're welcome, everyone. So step four of Lectio Divina is what does a sentence make you feel called to? Outside the apothecary, Hagrid checked Harry's list again. I think I want to combine my last two answers. I spoke about Hagrid and Grace Farrell, like showing kind of parental concern for their wards or their charges or whatever. The last step I spoke about just this move. I think that my kids must have a list. Even if it's not a formal one, it's in their head. They're like the little things that they need to do to help them make this transition. I'm worried about my list, right? I think I should maybe pay a little bit more attention to what would it, what it means for them to pack up their rooms and what they need to check off their list and how I can help put the supports around this transition so it feels orderly and organized and comfortable, even though just by definition, it's going to be chaotic and, and uncomfortable and life-changing in, in a real way. How about you? What do you feel called to do reading this sentence? I think I've said this recently, but I need to do it more. (laughs) It makes me feel called to donate more. I like used to have very, very precise grocery lists, grocery shopping lists. And part of that was because I lived in the dorms. And so I had like no storage. So it was like three avocados, (laughs) 17 green beans. (laughs) Exactly. Like I I had a mini fridge and I, I didn't have a kitchen. So But now I'm just like wealthy enough that I have a pantry full of food that like doesn't have a plan. Like I have 
extra cans of coconut milk in case we decide to make a curry. Like I, I just, I just like have food around. And so I need to up my monthly donations. Like that thing on my list of like donate money, like that needs to become higher priority on my list and a more regular thing on my list. I have like a couple of monthly donations that I think I'm going to just increase the amount of. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Rachel. Hello, everyone. My name is Rachel, and I live in Littleton, Colorado. I work as a speech-language pathologist and would like to offer some observations and reflections based on my experiences working with the students I serve, as well as listening to individuals with communication differences. While I won't be able to capture everyone's experience, and I hope to hear from more people and how their experience with communication is or is not reflected in these texts, I'd like to spend some moments thinking about stuttering. Stuttering is specifically mentioned in the books, and it's used to evoke different things. It's used to evoke a specific way someone is speaking, perhaps with hesitancy or in a choppy way. It's also used with Professor Quirrell as a way to present a stigmatized persona. We don't know if Professor Quirrell speaks with stuttering before Voldemort inhabits his body, but afterwards, the impression I get from the texts is that Quirrell Quirrell is using stuttering in a very specific way to present a foolish, ridiculous joke of a person 
in order to hide his true agenda and the fact that Voldemort is with him. I find this use of stuttering to be dismissive of the lived experiences of stuttering. If you listen to podcasts or someone that you know, their experience with stuttering is difficult and presents a lot of physical, emotional, mental, psychological, and other areas of challenge on a day-to-day basis. Every time they work to communicate, it may be with a question of, is this a safe opportunity? How's my communication going to come out? There are a lot of instances in the text, especially, unfortunately, with Hermione, where she's critical of how people say things. I would like to offer up suggestion that we as individuals reflect on our own communication and realize that communication does not come easily to everyone. I hope to hear from more people in the community about their experiences with communication and how they might think this shows up in the magical world. Thank you for all you do in this opportunity to speak. Yeah, I also find it really interesting to think about how this Voldemort experience has changed Quirrell and what we're supposed to get from his stutter. One of the things that we talked about before we started this second go through the series is that we just wanted to pay more attention to the moments when J.K. Rowling leans too heavily upon sort of body types or physical presentations or other kinds of physical difference in order to communicate a character difference or a moral difference. Not only is it wrong, it's just not true that physical characteristics correspond to moral characteristics. (laughs) It's also just lazy writing. It doesn't communicate well what we are supposed to learn about Quirrell other than the fact that he has a stutter. The only thing that we know about Quirrell now is that he has a stutter and we are invited to make inferences from that. And we just can't do that well and don't learn more about his character from that detail. Right. It feels like the text wants us to know that he's profoundly scared because of the stutter when like that is not how stutters work. That's not how bodies work. And so, yeah, it feels like this lazy writing. I think that's right, Vanessa. And the thing I find really bothersome about it is that Rowling is assuming some inferences or implications that her readers will draw from this. And because she does that, she doesn't actually do the harder work of showing it in the characterization of Quirrell. So she's leaning upon a set of assumptions or prejudices. And because she does that, she doesn't actually tell us who he is and what we should think of him. And Quirrell is such an interesting character. I'm so interested if he like courted this relationship with Voldemort. I feel like we don't get to know him between the turban and the stutter. She's expecting cliches to do a lot of work. And I don't understand what the cliches are and how they're supposed to work on me. And so he's just this mystery bad guy. Cliches. That's right. Yeah. Like she's because she depends on the cliches to do the work. She doesn't have control over the work that's being done. And we don't know what work is meant to be done and or who he is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now is the time when we remember those in our community who have been lost to COVID. Derek Johnson, 35, a husband, a kind soul and a music lover. Bubby Doreen, 86, a firecracker until the very end. Douglas Crooker, 69, a beloved father, husband, and grandfather. Dave Luce, age 68. Walter Schmidt, 85, a devoted husband 
of 61 years. And Ava Wallace, 88, an adventurer. Let light perpetual shine upon them. So, Matt, as far as blessings this week, I am excited to bless Harry. He does something that I do not think I would have been brave enough to do at 11. And I worry that I wouldn't have been brave enough to do now. He meets Draco and Draco is like, oh, Hagrid. And I can imagine myself being like, oh, is Hagrid something I don't understand? I thought he was great. But now this other person is telling me he's not great. And so maybe I'm supposed to think Hagrid's not great. And instead, Harry looks at Hagrid, who's just like being so big and goofy and holding these two ice cream cones. And is like, I can't go into the store because I'm holding these two ice cream cones. And looks at Draco and says like, I think he's brilliant. Just to like say that to someone who he doesn't know and he doesn't know if Hagrid is actually as cool as he seems and to stick to his convictions and his gut that Hagrid is awesome and has been kind to him, I think is is really brave and is a kind of courage that I hope I have to just be like, uh-uh, I like that person. And so I, I just love Harry in this moment. So I want to bless him for that. What about you? I love that blessing. The only thing I want to correct is I think you're absolutely that person. You are like this most loyal friend. Like when you have like made a friend, if someone comes shows up and is unfriendly to that friend, they are out. The new person is out. <laughs> that makes me sound like cutthroat. You're dead to me. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think that to, to take courage. I don't think that you're wrong to say that to courage. It just it's in him, just like it's in you, Vanessa. <laughs> okay, thank you, Matt. I would like to bless Ollivander this week. There is that really like troubling line at the end about you know great things, terrible things, but great things, which is an awful line. But I I just wanted to, to talk about the craft. What we've already been talking about, like that he has these memories of every person's ever taken a wand from him. He knows each wand so deeply and intimately. And it made me think of Japanese TV documentaries of like, you know, a family that's been making tofu for 400 years or whatever. Just like, there's so much respect for that much devotion to doing one thing the right way and developing a technique and honing it over generations, not just over like a part of a career or even a lifetime, but over generations, like that's what Ollivander's is. That's what Ollivander represents. And so just that kind of expertise and craftsmanship he and all crafts people deserve a blessing for that. So Matt, next week we're reading chapter six, The Journey from Platform Nine and Three Quarters. What should our theme be? I think I would like our theme for next week to be fear. I feel like, you know, I had this whole thing where I was thinking about fear in relation to awe. I think we still have some fear questions left open for us. So we'll see what the next chapter can tell us about that. Awesome. I'm excited. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can find listeners who are discussing the episode in the Facebook common room. Join our local groups and come join the community of people who are supporting us on Patreon. You can leave a review on iTunes and please send us a voicemail with a blessing for a character in book one. We love hearing them. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We are edited by Juliana Bradley. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. Thanks this week go to Rachel, who sent us her voicemail from Littleton, Colorado, to Molly Baxter, to Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Turkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the name of someone who has been lost to COVID. 
podcasting is such a weird thing. I mean, it's it's great. I love it. It's great. This is a lot of fun. But like, just like we're just talking and then re-talking. And anyway, okay.